You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, Sunday, October 8, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or you can find them on all things social at svbcfamily. All righty. Before we even dig into Romans 14, I do just want to take a few moments in prayer. Why? You know, we prayed, we prayed a moment ago. I want to take a few moments in prayer. We talked about this kind of extensively in Sunday school. But right now, the, the, is, the, the nation of Israel is under attack. That's, that's something that we should be taking very personally. Not only because Israel is a, is a close ally to the United States, don't get me wrong, that is important, but what's more important is that this nation and this people is the, the nation that God chose to bring salvation to the world. They, he brought Jesus through the nation of Israel. The promises God made to Israel go back to the very, very beginnings of of the Bible. You don't have to read very far into the book of Genesis before we start reading about a guy named Abraham. And one of the things, and I've talked about this a lot, this this Abrahamic promise or, or covenant was that whoever blessed the Hebrew people The Jewish people, God would bless them. Whoever cursed them, he would curse them. We see later on in the Bible, we see one of the prophets say that when you touch Israel, you touch the apple of God's eye. So I I don't take very lightly at all what is going on right now in the nation of Israel. Why? Because not only because this is a, this is, an important place and an important people to God himself. Do you realize, and I've talked about this, if if you look at what Jesus has said about us Gentile believers being an engrafted vine, we believe what Paul has said about us once we become believers, you know, literally becoming children of Abraham, do you realize that when Israel was being attacked, you were being attacked? This is, this, is, this is huge. So we're just going to take a few moments, and we're going to pray for Israel. And I would encourage you, once you leave this place, and every day before, until you come back, and every day while this is going on, I encourage you, if, 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 if nothing else, when you get up in the morning, just say, God, protect Israel. If you want to get into a long, lengthy prayer about it, awesome. I encourage that. But but, but I'm saying, please, 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 while this, especially while this is going on, even if you just get up in the morning and right before you go to bed, God, protect your people in Israel. It it doesn't take much. I just did it twice in like 30 seconds. We need to reach out. We need to reach out and, and and touch heaven. And, and, and petition for the people who were there. This is this is bad. What's going on there? I, I'm not. I'm not even just talking about 
on the spiritual level, this, this is literally a war in which I would almost call it a spiritual proxy war. This is, this is the devil himself and God the Father fighting over this, what's going on there. You know, the Satan, hates, Satan hates you as believers. He hates the, the people of Israel. So this, this, is, this is about something so much more than this piece of land we call the Gaza Strip. But if you've been watching this, and I have been, and it's very disturbing, Hamas has come in and literally they're grabbing Israeli citizens and dragging them back over into the Gaza Strip. And, and we're assuming they want to use them as human shields. They really haven't said yet. We're assuming they're going to be used as human shields or bargaining pieces. We don't know. But, but it's scary stuff what's going on there. So we, let's, just, let's just go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll, we'll dig into Romans 14. Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name on behalf of your people in Israel. God, we as, as believers owe a great debt to you, and because then through them that you have blessed us with Jesus. God, your promises to Abraham, they're still there. You're still, you're still making his descendants outnumber the stars. You're still blessing us through this people. God, we thank you. We thank you for that relationship you had with Abraham. And we thank you for all the promises that you have fulfilled and, and how you've brought us into the fold, God. Lord, as every single one of these missiles get fired from the Gaza Strip or anywhere towards your people and your, your nation, God, I ask that, that the Israeli defense missiles, that they knock down every single one. God, may, them, may they not be able to touch your people. Your strength and your power is far exceeds anything that we could, any enemy of your people could unleash on Israel. You can protect them, my God. God, we pray for the protection of Israel. We pray for, we pray for, the, for the peace of Israel. God, in those, all those families that have lost loved ones, you know, just in the first day, it was at least 200, thousands injured. God, comfort them. You have told us, you have told us that when we mourn, that you, are, that you will comfort us. You've told us that you're close to the brokenhearted. God, we just ask that you minister to the people there in Israel now. God, and we even, we pray for the Carp family right now. Something a little even closer home. Rabbi, Rabbi Carp was just here two weeks ago. And we know that his wife is there, and we know that his son is in the Israeli Defense Force. We know he planned on going there in two weeks, but but we're we're not allowing, you know, we're not allowing our planes to go in there right now. I keep, we pray for the peace and protection of that family, God. I can't even imagine what's going through Rabbi Karp's mind. I can't imagine the trouble in his heart. Comfort him, Father. Comfort him, God. And as as many of our folks are. They're traveling in different places right now. Again, I just ask for your traveling mercies for them and bring them home safely as well, God. 
We love you and we praise you. We pray this in the name that is above all names. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. As you see, I did not forget my computer this time. There is hope for me. I tell you what, the, when I bought this Bible, it said large print. And I'm not going to talk about this much, I promise. But I'll tell you what, I don't know if my definition of large print is different than theirs or my eyes have just gotten that bad. It don't look large to me. I was still, even with my glasses, I'm like, oh my goodness. That, that, that's, uh, <laughs> I just don't know. All right, what we're going to be talking about today is the weak and the strong. We've, been, we've gone through pretty much the entire book of, of Romans. Uh, we've got a couple weeks left, and we'll probably, there was two or three chapters that we're probably going to go back and revisit because... You know, when we were going through all this stuff with the vote and everything, you, you know, I, I kind of skipped forward because I didn't know if I was going to be here to finish Romans. So kind of when we get to the end, we'll go back to those, those few chapters and missed. Why? Because they're important. Every single chapter in, there, in, in, in the Bible is important. But interestingly enough, those chapters deal with kind of God's, God's sovereignty and choice of, you know, with Israel and, and, and a lot of the things that we've been talking about since the attack. But for now, we're going to be starting out Romans 14. We're going to go through the entire chapter, but we're going to do it quickly. It's not, this is not one of those theologically complex chapters, even though it addresses a few things that are very important. It says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, this entire chapter, we're going to be using an example of kind of the, the things that people were eating and not eating. But does this have a broader application, maybe? I'm not trying to add or take away anything from Scripture. That's not what this is. But I can tell you that when we, when we read the Bible, often part of exegesis or that, or that interpretation, the drawing out, is sometimes that we have to kind of understand the original context, who he was talking to, what he meant, and, and that we can kind of pull out of those things lessons that we can apply to ourselves too. So he may have been talking about some food things that we'll hear shortly. But let's think about that for a second. Except those whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. How often in the church, and again, I'm not talking about Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church. I'm talking about church period. Do you see church folk fighting over stuff that, that, that there's no absolute answer over? Or, that, or in a, a case where there might be scripture that supports one thing, and then, well, well over here it might support a little different thing. And, and, and churches fight over these things. I have seen churches in my lifetime split over the Trinity. I, I, literally. Literally. You know, what, what is this Trinity thing? First of all, Trinity is, is a word that we've made up to kind of describe. There's a lot of those words that we kind of made up to kind of describe something. But what is absolutely a biblical expression is the Godhead. What is the Godhead? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three working so perfectly in unison together that they are one. 
Just like my head. My eyes are one thing, but it's not the whole head. My mouth is one thing, it's not the whole head. You know, my brain's one thing, it's not the whole head. But when you put us together, it's still one head, but there's different parts, and they work in perfect unity. And this is kind of the way this Trinity idea works. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But they are so perfectly unified, it's even far beyond even, you know, my, my, my example of the head. You know, Jesus even said that if you've seen the Father, or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, that's how perfectly unified that they are in their purposes and the things that they do. However, I have seen churches split over what does the Trinity mean? Is it one God, one guy? Or is there like three? I've seen churches split over this. To me, it's a simple idea. What I just explained to you just seems to me very, it's very simple. For some people, it's way more complex. How about other how about other things that churches fight over? How about Pentecost? There's a huge one. Do things like, like prophecy and speaking in tongues, do those things exist or do they, or do they cease when, when the Bible, what we call the canonized Bible, was complete? Churches fight over this stuff. I, I mean, to the point where sometimes they don't even get along with one another because you know, the people that believe in cessationism, they talk, oh, that's those crazy, that's those crazy speaking the tongue folks. They're the snake people. Or, or the, the people that are on this side, like, oh, you, you people over there, you're missing out on the spirit. I mean, you're just, you're just missing, the, you're missing out the fullness of what God has to offer. So they, they will argue back and forth over these things. But here's the thing. These are disputable matters. These are things that even though we will have convictions about them that can be that should be very strong, the, the, the fact is, is we shouldn't be fighting over things like that. What is the one thing that we as a church should be willing to fight over? Jesus. That's it. There, we, the one thing that we must take a hard line on in Scripture. And it doesn't matter what denomination you are, it doesn't matter if you're Pentecostal, not Pentecostal, Baptist, Assembly of God, Church of God, whatever it is, there's one thing that we should all agree on, and that should be a hard line thing, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one gets to the Father without him. The one thing we should take, another thing we should take a hard line on is that there is one mediator between God and man, and it's Jesus Christ. So the one thing that we should have no wiggle room on in all of these denominations, instead of fighting over these different things, we do need to agree on the absolute, the absolute truth of Jesus Messiah. What, and when we argue over these things, when we, find, when we take a, a, a piece of Scripture... Well, this is one that we've been we, that we dealt with recently. First Timothy, the man of one wife. What good does it do arguing over this stuff? What good does it do? Did it help us any? No. We need to choose, and this goes back to last week's lesson. Remember, all of these things run together. This is one continuing thought. You are called to love and not fight your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So I taught, well, I accidentally put Romans 13 down in your bulletin. That, is part, that was the end of Romans 13. You are to love your brothers. You are to love your sisters. And there's no mistake he goes right into this disputable matter things. Could you imagine if we could put aside, you know, things like how should we baptize? Do we sprinkle? Do we dunk? Do we dunk forward? Do we dunk backwards? If we could stop arguing over stupid stuff like that and get together and work for the, the furtherance of the kingdom of Christ, could you imagine what the world would look like? We need to stop arguing over stupid stuff. It doesn't matter if you sprinkle or you dunk. It's still baptized. What is baptism? The baptism is, when you are baptized, it's, it's, it's a symbolic thing where you make a public proclamation that I belong to Jesus. So it doesn't matter if it's, or it doesn't matter. It's the proclamation of your faith in Christ that is so important in baptism. That's it. So if we could just stop fighting over disputable matters. You know, and I think... When we talk about weak and strong, I would almost wonder if those who are strong in the faith are the ones that say, you know what, even though we don't agree, I'm going to love you. Even if we can't, can't come to an agreement, do, do we use the little COVID cups and communion or if we use actual bread, even if we can't agree, I'm going to love you. That's what we need to do. That's what Paul's calling for here. Because I think that when we argue over stupid stuff, I would, I would submit to you that that's weakness of faith. We get hung up on little things. We need to get hung up on things like Jesus. If you try to tell me that I can get to heaven any other way than Jesus, you and I got to need to talk. Anything else, we can disagree on it. It's a disputable matter. Quit fighting. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. What is he talking about here? Do you, do you realize that, that Paul really wrangled a lot with, with people who, who were still holding on to things like food laws? You, you know, we saw where God did away with the food laws. Remember, remember Peter's vision? takes him up on the roof, and he sees you know, all the stuff that they couldn't eat, and he says, kill it and eat it. It's all good. Why did, he, why did he do that? Well, because before Jesus, the food laws had a purpose. The food laws was part of those things where it was showing the separation between the Hebrew people and everyone else. They had to eat different things. They had to dress different ways than everybody else. God wanted them to look very different. However, after Jesus, he did away with the separation things. He made us one people. He brought us, us, us Gentile believer people into the fold and made us one people. So there no longer needed to be these things, these separation things like the food laws. However, Paul was wrangling with these folks. I guess some of them were still saying, you can't eat pork. Food laws say, you can't eat pork. Well, Paul's saying it doesn't matter. You know, if you're strong in your faith and you, uh, you get 
that, that Jesus has, has knocked down all these barriers and we are one, then, then eat your pork. By golly, I am. I love me some bacon. Oh, yeah. I love me some bacon. But the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. You know, so if, if I'm eating with somebody who's, who's a, a Jewish believer that it's, it's still kind of holds to the, to the food laws, I'm not, I should not look at him as like, you dummy, why aren't you eating that bacon? And he shouldn't be looking at me as like, oh, you, you, I can't believe you're eating that bacon. We shouldn't be fighting over these things. But again, there's a broader thing here. There's a broader lesson, too, that we can apply this to. If, if, if we engage with another church in like a community event or an activity, there's no reason why we shouldn't be. Because here's the thing, and this is the point, we're all on the same team. We're all trying to accomplish the same thing. We're worshiping the same Jesus. There's no reason why if an opportunity comes up that, that, that we can engage with other churches for the furtherance of the kingdom, we should be doing that. But we shouldn't be nitpicking what each other believes on these finer matters. The only thing that should matter is Jesus. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own minds. I should not judge a, a more traditional Jewish believer for, for not eating ham because he or she is not doing so in the service of the Lord. It is their conviction that they are serving the Lord by abstaining from certain things. It is not for me to judge what they do and do not eat. Because God has accepted them, and God is the only one that they need to please. And it goes the other way around for us. One day more sacred than another. You know, we don't even agree over you know, what day should be our, our day off. Saturday or Sunday. You know, there, there are some denominations, and especially uh, even the Jewish people now, the, the Shabbat or, or the Sabbath actually is on Saturday. That is the seventh day. So why do we have church on Sundays? Well, we celebrate what we call the Lord's Day. It was the day that Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead. So the one Saturday is sacred. To the, to the next, Sunday is sacred. And some may consider them all the same. Here's the thing with these, these sacred days. And again, we can't criticize somebody for believing Saturday is sacred and Sunday's not. 
Just because they think Sunday it's okay to cut the grass and to do whatever it is. Well, I usually do. That's sometimes the only days I get off. Anyway, regardless of what, how, what day we think we should be abstaining from activity or resting, you realize that law doesn't actually even spell that out, what day that you should have a, a rest? We are ordered to take a rest. God orders you to take Shabbat, a rest. You know, so if God isn't saying, hey, it's got to be Saturday or Sunday, who are I, or you or I, to decide which day should be the Shabbat? But whatever it is, whatever that conviction is in your heart, if you think you should abstain from, from hard work on Sundays, if that's, is that, if that's what you believe, you need to do it. If you believe Saturdays, you should abstain from hard labor, you should do it. And I'll tell you what, and I'm not, I'm not using this to try to convince anybody one way or another, but I'll tell you what, my mama, when she was alive, she would, she would, she would read us the riot act when we would do things on Sundays. This is a true story. When my, my brother was in medical school at WVU, they had a trailer on top of the mountain. If you've ever been around Morgantown, you, you, you know, you got the, the mountains, and, and there's, just, there's just mobile homes just everywhere because it's a college town. I mean, it's cheap housing. You, you know, I met some miners when he was there. So, I mean, there, there's, there's all kinds of, of, of housing there that's affordable. Well, he needed a shed. So the whole family, and I was a kid at the time, the whole family goes to Morgantown, and they put up my brother's shed on Sunday. And I'll never forget Mom. You shouldn't be doing that. It's Sunday. You shouldn't be putting that shed up on a Sunday. You know what happened to that shed? It blew down. That's another thing about being on top of a mountain. There's lots of wind. It blew down. And you want to know what? Did Mama, did mama hold back from saying, I told you so? Absolutely not. I told you you shouldn't have put that shed up. Hey, there might be something to it. <laughs> But God does require you to take a time of rest. But we shouldn't be arguing over which, which day it is that we take to rest. Whoever regards one day as special does, does so to the Lord. Whoever, whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of, us none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. So that's what I was talking about just a little bit ago. If it is your conviction not to eat certain things, and you're doing it in the service of the Lord, you need to, you need to do it. You need to abstain. If that's, your, if that's what, what God has laid on your heart, you, you, or if, if you feel that you can eat anything, and that's what God's laid in your heart, and you're thanking Him for the food that you've gotten. God bless you. Are there other things, though? Are there other things where this could apply? You know, the, the Jewish people, we saw Rabbi Karp still wears a, a head cover, you, you know, when he's in the sanctuary. Should I criticize him for that? No. But it's an important part of his faith. How about how we dress? 
I know everybody loves the way I dress. I know Wally really loves the way I dress. Should if, if I guarantee you, every time Wally Pittman straps on a suit, he does so because it's and, and to him it's the service to the Lord. It's it's showing up in your very best. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. If it's the conviction of your heart to wear a suit and a tie, you need to wear a suit and a tie. Because for some, that is an act of worship. Because they do it for the Lord. They do it unto the Lord. When people dress like me, I'm still doing it for the Lord. Why? Because A, I, I don't, I, I don't, it's not important to me. I, I, you know, I think my heart is more important than my hoodie. But on the flip side, too, somebody else who comes in here looking like this should feel comfortable looking like this. You know, I've always said from the beginning, in fact, if I don't know if you've noticed in your bulletin, I changed come, come as you are. Instead of the uh, helping people find Jesus. And I, I've always, I used to, we had said that at Victory, and I used to tease the pastors, like, I didn't know he was lost. You, you, you know, but I put that, come as you are. Why? Because I am not trying to create an environment that, that where everybody dresses one particular way and it's right. I think, think everybody should be able to walk in these doors and feel comfortable because they're here because of God and they've come however they are for the service of the Lord or because they're seeking the Lord. Where the rubber meets the road, that's all that matters. Let's look at Jesus' time. I mean, we obviously don't have any photographs of Jesus. But every depiction we've ever seen of him, he, he's wearing just plain old clothes. He was a carpenter. I mean, it might have been like carpenter clothes. I mean, do we ever see a depiction? And I think it's probably a very good, accurate description that he didn't. Did you ever see a depiction of where Jesus was dressed like a Pharisee? I don't think he ever did. Do I think he used the prayer shawl? Absolutely. That's, that's a Hebrew thing. That's not just a Pharisee thing. In, in fact, when, when Pat or Rabbi Carp was coming, I was talking to the guy that helps keep him straight. Everybody in ministry has to have somebody that keeps him straight or it just doesn't. It, it's just true. And he was telling me the story out of Scripture, and it blew me away. And this is how one way we absolutely know, absolutely know that Jesus wore the, the, the prayer shawls. Because on the, on the ends of the prayer shawls are the braids, which, which resemble the laws. Do you know what they called those braids? They were called the wings. They have a name. So now we have the woman with the issue of blood that says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. She understood the scripture that said that the that, that Messiah would come with healing in his what? His wings. So when she was pressing in, 
We knew he was wearing a prayer shawl because she wanted to touch the wings because the prophet said there would be healing in his wings. Was there, did we have any kind, of, any kind of depiction of him ever being dressed like a Pharisee? Having him dressed as a priest? You realize Jesus is the high priest. He is the high priest. There is no need for any priest after him. He is the high priest. But did you ever see him with the jewel thing? Any depiction of him wearing the little jewel outfit? Probably because I'm sure he probably didn't. So it does, whether it's what they eat or what day that they observe or in their applications that we've been talking about, what they wear, they do it for the Lord. I mean, we shouldn't be hypercritical. How about music? Should we be hypercritical over music? Churches are. And I understand because the part of it I absolutely get. Part of it I absolutely get. I absolutely get. Because when you've been worshiping a certain way your entire life, it's your comfort zone. It, it's, it's how you release. I get that. But there's one form of music more holy than the other. It's really not. But I will tell you what, of course, we don't have one. But I have always said the most difficult job in any church is the worship pastor. I believe that. My job's very simple. It really, really is. All of my guidance, it's right here. When I teach or I preach or I counsel, it comes straight from here. I, I mean, God lays out my job real easy. But when you're a worship pastor, you deal with preferences. You will never make anybody happy there. But these are disputable matters, things that we shouldn't quarrel over. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. We have one Lord. He's the Lord of the living. He's the Lord of the dead. He's the Lord of the Jews. He's the Lord of the Gentiles. Breaking down further, he's the Lord of the Baptists. He's the Lord of the Episcopalians. He's the Lord of the Catholics. He's the Lord of all these folks. One Lord. So how one chooses to honor God, we are not their judge. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And again, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we're not 
that there's not going to be accounting for. Maybe we see in the parables this, this, this principle of, of those who invested well in the kingdom and worked hard in the kingdom. They were given a, a greater reward. Those who, who kind of who, who did a little bit less, the reward was a little bit less. Those that took the, their, what they were given and buried it, you know, they didn't get a reward at all. You know, so maybe, maybe, just maybe, this accounting is, could you, I, I, I can almost picture at judgment, God celebrating his believers. But I think, I think the celebration will be a lot better for the Billy Grahams than the Greg Voorheeses. You know, so they, there might be times that I've dropped a ball and, and, and I may have to try to, I, I can picture God now. Not that he's condemning me, but God, God's saying to me, Greg, you know that person that was, you saw at the restaurant and they were crying and I, I laid on your heart to go talk to them. You thought, nah, I got to go. I'm a busy guy, and I just went on. I could picture God saying, why? Why didn't you do it? Isn't that kind of like me taking the counting for my action in a non-condemning way? Because I'll be honest, that would probably make my heart feel heavy. Yeah, God, I dropped the ball. I dropped the ball, God. So there will be an accounting. And again, I talked about that. It's not the big jumbotron that shows you all your, all your sins. Because all of your sins have been forgiven. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up in your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded. He's, 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 he's double downing on this. He's, making, he's really driving this point home. Make up your mind... And do not put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If you believe going to the movies, and there are those people out here, not me, I just went to the movies yesterday. In fact, ran into the knobs. The blind, I would highly recommend it. Some people believe that it's sin to, to go to the movies. If that's how they feel, they shouldn't do it. And you could plug anything in there. But if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone in whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let's, let's, when I read this passage, I'm going to read a piece of this again. Because there's, there's an example that just blows up in the back of my head. If your brother or sister is distressed of what you eat, you are no longer acting love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone in whom Christ died. There's an example that really jumps out in my head about this. Alcohol. 
What's the deal with alcohol? I know the Baptist, the Baptist position on alcohol is no, no, no. And I'm not knocking that. But again, that, that's, if that is your conviction, that alcohol is evil, then you need to stay away from it. Or if you're someone who has a propensity towards addiction, you definitely need to stay away from it. But think about this for a second. Does the Bible condemn drinking alcohol? It does condemn drunkenness. Does it condemn drinking of alcohol? I'm not making a, a, a doctrinal statement here. I'm using this as an example here. What was Jesus' first miracle? Water in the wine. And I know scholars have tried to kind of whitewash this thing. Oh, it wasn't alcoholic wine. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. It, it, he, he made it into like grape juice. Let me tell you what, when I was younger, I drank. And I liked it. But I've been to an, around enough people who drank and liked it that in the end of the story, the Toastmaster, the kind of the MC of the party says, whoa, this is amazing. You saved the best for last. I have been around enough drunk people to know that if you give them grape juice, they're not going to drink it and say, oh, this is the best stuff yet. So does the Bible absolutely condemn the consumption of any alcohol? In fact, Paul says that all things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Bringing this back around to this. Even though I don't see a biblical condemnation of having a little bit of alcohol, has anybody ever seen me out and about drinking alcohol? Why wouldn't I? Because it causes a brother to stumble. Because when you're out and about and you're at the and you're at the Texas Roadhouse and you've got your big beer and somebody who's new in the faith sees that does that cause them issues? Do they have struggles with that? My experience is that it does. So for that reason, sometimes it's just better to stay away because we don't want it to cause your brother to stumble. And I've seen it. I've seen it. And again, please don't say, I'm standing up here saying, oh, Pastor Greg says we can go drink, just make sure it's at our house. That's not, that's not the point of this whole thing. I'm just using drinking as an example of how sometimes what we eat or we drink could cause a brother or a sister to stumble. And God does not want us to make a brother or sister stumble. We're going to be landing this plane very soon. We're getting at the end of the chapter, I promise. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and the mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. 
All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. That's what we're talking about. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Guess what? Paul used the same example. <laughs> I'm sure that's why it was stuck in my head. Because <laughs> I read the chapter first. So Paul's even saying if there's something that would cause, something you would eat that would cause a brother or sister to stumble, it ain't worth it. It just ain't worth it. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. So if your decision to eat pork, like mine, is based on Peter's dream that God gave him that says, kill and eat, it's all good. And that's where my faith is based on what God told Peter. Yeah, I'm going to eat that. But if you're somebody who, who, who believes that this food separation still goes on, that it still exists, and you think it's wrong to eat pork, and you eat pork anyway, you're violating kind of the, the, the law of your, in your heart. So my suggestion, church, and again, this comes back to something I've said over and over and over and over. Read this. Sunday morning church is not enough. Read this. Learn, not just what I tell you. Learn straight from the Word itself and develop your your convictions based on your readings. And what the Holy Spirit lays on your heart, stick to it. Stick to it. You know the one thing, the one thing I still pray after all these years, and I would probably suggest you do the same thing, before you ever read this, I say, Holy Spirit, help me understand. Help me understand. Why is that so important? And I'll finish. I'll land the plane with this, I promise. Because your understanding of Scripture, this is straight from the Bible, your understanding of the Word of God is through what God has revealed to you. This is all one big mystery without God. But God himself reveals his mysteries and his secrets to us in this word. And it is up to the Holy Spirit. And this is why you need the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me understand. No one can help you understand what's here more than the Holy Spirit himself. So I can tell you what, I can take any topic out of here, pick three of you, we can have a theological debate, and there's probably going to be arguments about it. We don't have that arguments with the Holy Spirit. He knows what he's talking about. 
So lean not into your own understanding. Ask for the Holy Spirit to enlighten this word and to help it stick to your heart.